Right, good morning. It feels so good to be back. In fact, I was telling uh, some of you guys that the moment we landed uh, in Gatwick and drove to our place, it felt so normal. It felt like we haven't gone away. It felt like we just got on holiday. And uh, we are so thankful for the warm welcome. And again, that made it a lot easier. And um, I'm sure it'll be, again, difficult for us to leave. But it'll be good. It'll be good. I'd like to start by, again, thanking the worship team. I think it's very appropriate that we start with, with that thought of fixing our eyes on Jesus. In fact, if all that we take today is that thought, that's, that's good. Because everything is about fixing our eyes on Jesus. In fact, um, our series about reset. As Stuart spoke about resetting or rethinking our attitudes on disqualification. Rob spoke about forgiveness. And I was trying to tie... You know, this, the whole thing about fixing our eyes on Jesus and reset. And the Bible said that when we behold Jesus with unveiled faces, we are being transformed. So I may say reset <laughs> from glory to glory to glory. And that's so key, being able to look at Jesus. And um, that's my prayer. That pray, uh, um, Stuart prayed that today that we will see Jesus again as we, as we hear his his word this morning. When Stuart asked me to preach, and I was still in America, I was, this is a theme, and I was praying for a particular topic on this theme. And I was reflecting on what's going on in America. I don't know if you listen to the news. I'm so fed up with politics in America. Um, and of course, the shooting uh, in Vegas, and apparently there's another shooting in, um, in north of California. Uh, there was a shooting once few months ago in our town. It's actually on the street where my parents used to live. And at the time of the shooting, my mom was supposed to go on that particular place because she normally goes for a walk. At that time, it just rained and she got lazy, so she stayed at home. And so um, um, many of you knew that when we moved there, that our, our journey wasn't always easy. It was difficult. So we were wrestling with our own stuff and then we got into this country. It's beautiful, but it's very broken. It's very divided. And so I was, I was reflecting, reflecting on all those things. And then God just spoke to me, I'm still at work. I'm still at work. In fact, I want you to partner with me in resetting humanity. And that's what I would like to talk today is resetting a partnering with God in resetting humanity. Because I believe that God has not called us to, has not only called us to reset some attitudes that are not in line with this kingdom, but He's also given us the privilege, that awesome adventure of partnering with Him in resetting humanity. That's awesome. And it, it, it allows us to be more outward focused. You know what I mean? So that, that's what happening with us, me and Alisa. We were going through our own issues, and then we began reflecti- uh, reflecting on what's going on in America with the election and the shooting. And then God just told me, just look to me. Because if you look to your stuff and the brokenness around the world, you, you're just going to drown. And we were singing a while ago, God, Jesus, you're beautiful. We're also sing- leading us in that song. And in my heart, I, was sing- I, was, I felt I heard God saying, you can only see me beautiful if you actually look to me. That means choosing to look away from 
something to look to Jesus. And another thing that I was wrestling, but God, how can I see you beautiful if you see the shooting, you see this, all this brokenness around me, just look to me. And you will still see that I am at work. There's amazing stories in America that you know, the media doesn't you know, tell us, uh, stories of hope and um, redemption. And uh, you will see that God is really at work. And what I'm sharing today is obviously not just applicable in America. All over the world, there's brokenness. And over, all over the world, Christians are called to partner with God in bringing redemption, in bringing healing. So let me, let me backtrack and just think about the word reset. So Stuart talked to me, uh, told me about the, the topic reset. I began thinking about reset. What a beautiful word. <laughs> it speaks about hope, right? It speaks about like just beginning, new beginning, being able to restart. And I'm thinking about different examples or analogies that I can use to just share to you my, my joy in that word, reset. And I remember the first time I, I, I first had a, a smartphone. And I was so nervous because a smartphone. I was so nervous that I would play around it and I would just mess it up and like, oh no, what have I done? And then I found out of this wonderful, wonderful feature. It's called Restore Factory Setting. <laughs> So basically what, what that does is that it basically allows you to reset your phone. So when you mess up your phone, you press that button and it resets you to how it's originally designed. It's awesome. It's awesome for me. It's not so techy like, oh, <laughs> I'm going to mess up my phone. I'm just going to reset it. Of course, you lose all the data <laughs> on all your contacts, but it's great. <laughs> but another analogy that I think I can use is that for example, when you're driving and you're following um, you're just the voice of your satnav, usually a British accent, tell, tells you that you know where you're going or the satnav knows where it's going. And then you miss a turn or you miss the exit. And usually the satnav would just tell you, turn around when possible. <laughs> turn around when possible. Like, wow, it's so gracious, isn't it? <laughs> You know, it's not like, what are you doing, you stupid driver? Turn around. <laughs> it's not like me when I'm telling Elisa, like, you know, guiding Elisa. Oh, it's a shame that the satnav is more gracious than I am. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that the inventor of that satnav is a Christian. But, uh, <laughs> but think about the satnav. Even if, even if you're driving, even if you're driving opposite the direction you're supposed to go to, it would just reroute you or reroute you. However, what's British? Sorry, Andy. <laughs> reroute you. You know, it will never just go off on you. It will just reroute you. Of course, it will take you longer to your destination. It's just Moses using a sat-nav to go to destination. It's just arriving in 40 years. That can be But basically, the sat-nav allows you, you know, just allows you to just go to your destination even if you miss a turn, even if you just miss the exit. Turn around when possible. And that's awesome. And that's why I love the word reset because it really speaks about that. It really speaks about the opportunity to do it all over again. It gives us hope. And when Stuart spoke about disqualification, that's awesome. In fact, I would like to tie that in later on because when partnering with God, maybe some of you feel disqualified. How can I be partnered with God when I've done this or all those things? But if, you, if you're feeling that way, listen to Stuart talk on um, resetting on disqualification. So my heart today is just to share you three practical steps 
on partnering with God in resetting humanity. And these are not the three practical steps, okay? Uh, but these are the three practical steps that the Lord has highlighted in me to share to you. And I'm not saying that I've, I've got all these three steps figured out. In fact, it was so funny. The moment I, fir- I first you know, heard God about the first um, practical step, you know, I was immediately confronted with the same issue, of course, through my wife. <laughs> and then it's like, oh my goodness, Lord, why am I sharing this when I'm actually, you know, I'm, I, I haven't got this all together. But that's, that's it. That's the point. We're all in this together. We're in a journey together. But before I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about those three practical steps, let me lay some foundation. Why is it really important for us to partner with God? And specifically with this thought about partnering with God, and which I would like to talk about more towards the end of my talk. The first thing I would like to say is Adam set the cycle of brokenness in the world. Why do we need to set, reset humanity? Of course, we are broken. And we were told that in the Bible, brokenness starts at the time of Adam. In fact, if you really look closely, in Genesis chapter 3, after they sinned, it says, then both of their eyes were opened. And then they realized that they were naked. And then they sewed tree, uh, uh, leaves to cover themselves. So after that sinned, they felt the need to cover themselves that something within them has been broken. Do you know what I mean? And that brokenness began to manifest outside because the brokenness outside the world is just a reflection of our brokenness inside. Am I making sense? Okay. And you know in the story it says, um, God was walking through the cool of the day and Adam and Eve heard the voice of the Lord and they hid from his presence. So after something has been broken in them, their relationship with God was broken as well. They deliberately separated from God by hiding themselves away from the life-giving presence of God. So so the the manifestation of brokenness from within is seen in their relationship with God, but not only in their relationship with God, it was also manifested in their relationship with one another. Remember that? When who told you that you were naked? Well, that woman, Lord, that you gave me, she gave me the fruit. And then the blaming starts. You know what I mean? And originally, I was just looking at Adam, but God um, spoke to me, just go on, go further, look at the progression of brokenness, the cycle of brokenness. And then you have Cain and Abel. Remember that? The first murder. And so see, you see this cycle of brokenness. Adam set the cycle, the cycle of brokenness in the world. The Bible says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. And that same brokenness is still in us. And it can easily be passed on to our children. Let me tell you a story. Um, I was having a discussion with Elisa one time in front of Liam. And uh, after the discussion, we were, me and Liam were driving, and I felt so convicted to, to ask for forgiveness to Liam. And I, I asked, um, Liam is my son, if you don't know. Um, and I told Liam, Liam, I'm, I'm really sorry that Papa and Mama argued in front of you. You know, every time we do that, Jesus um, is hurt. 
And then Liam spoke to me and saw my papa. And so that same brokenness can easily be passed on. And then I, told, I asked Liam, Liam, can you forgive me? And I love how kids forgive. Yes, papa. Okay, let's forget about it. <laughs> let's move on. And that's how we should be, right? That's how we should be. In order for us to stop that cycle of brokenness, we must learn to forgive. We must listen to Rob's message last week. So Adam set the cycle of brokenness in the world. The Bible says, death came through sin and all that death represents. Brokenness, anxiety, fear, pain. And number two is God's heart from the very beginning is to redeem humanity. The second foundation is God's heart It's always to redeem humanity. Just because man is broken doesn't mean that God's going to throw us away. No. God, is, God wants to redeem humanity. It says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Now, if you stop and think about this passage for a minute, God already knew that man is going to be broken before the creation of the world. He already chose Jesus to, uh, to, to redeem us. Now, if you were like me, my question to God at that time, and I was just reflecting on this passage, Lord, if you knew that Jesus is going to die, then why did you still create human beings? You know what I mean? I don't know. That's just me. I was, I was just asking God in my devotion, Lord, if you knew that this is going to happen, why did you still create us? And you know what Jesus said? Or I felt God the Father told me. He said, son, because you're worth it. And then I started thinking about Hitler and Stalin, and Pol Pot, and the terrorist, you're still worth it. You're still worth it. You know, with all the brokenness in the world, it's so easy for us to carry a, an angry heart. Do you know what I mean? That we could easily say, even Christians would say, oh, he deserves that. He's, he's done wicked stuff. He deserves that. Those terrorists, they should be abolished or d- destroyed. But you know what God said? He said, Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? Declares the sovereign Lord. Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. Repent and live. That is God's heart. Even for the people that we thought are really beyond God's grace. God said, no, I do not take any pleasure. In fact, Jesus, uh, God said in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he said, the Lord is patient, is not slow in keeping with his promise, as some understand slowness. The Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but that everyone would come to repentance. God's heart is always to bring redemption. And if we don't get this, then it's hard to partner with God to bring redemption in the world, to reset humanity. So we've got, to, we've got to take this 
In fact, let me go back. It's for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's the purpose. The, the hero of this verse is not us, it's God. It's God. The focus of this passage is God. God loves us, so God sent his own son to die for us. And that God sent his son not to condemn us, but to save us. Uh, just uh, last week, I was talking to someone close to me, and, and um, he was on a journey to finding Christ, but he told me that all five major religions, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, and Christianity, he told me they're all the same. They're all the same. They all seek spirituality. They all, they all lead to the same path. And I said, actually, no. And let me tell you the difference between those four religions, major, and let me tell you about Christianity. All four religions are saying you must work hard in order for you to attain spirituality. Islam, you have the five pillars of Islam. You have to fast, you have to pray five times a day, you have to give to the poor, all those works. And if you're good enough, or maybe I'll consider you Buddhism, you have the eightfold virtues of Buddhism, all this good stuff that you need to do in order for you to attain nirvana. And then Hinduism, Obviously, if you're good enough in this life, maybe you'll reincarnate in a better form next, in the next life. But you have to do good stuff. In Judaism, of course, we have the law. But only in Christianity you hear God sending His own Son for us. Only in Christianity we hear that God Himself came down into this world because we cannot make it. We are not able to, to reach that standard. And this person um, was telling me, but the standard is very high. That's precisely it. That's precisely the, why God sent his own son to die for our sins because we cannot make it. But the problem is a lot of, uh, because of our brokenness in the world, sometimes that brokenness we project onto God. You know what I mean? So when we talk about the nature of God, some people talk about God's holiness. And they spoke out of their brokenness that holiness becomes legalism. Do you know what I mean? And then people respond to that out of brokenness and went to the other extreme about grace. That's as if God's not holy. And then the problem is we try to polarize these things. Then we have a bipolar God. Do you know what I mean? When in fact the Bible, there's a harmony and unity within God. And it's sad that Christians actually you know, polarize this, this nature of God. And talking about the law, sometimes when we polarize, when we go back to, we, we, we react from the grace message, we go back to the law, then we go back to Galatians. Paul was saying, if anyone speaks another message, which means, you know, anyone speaks another gospel, let him be anathema, let him be cursed. Because the Galatians were preaching grace plus plus. You know what I mean? Grace plus works. And so we cannot go back to that. You know what I mean? So in other words, we need to really understand God's heart in order for us to be partner with him in resetting humanity. The third one, Jesus is God's way of resetting humanity. Jesus is God's way and the only way to reset humanity. The Bible says he is the second Adam. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, 
overflow to the many. So what does this mean? It means that only in Jesus and through Jesus can we reset humanity. It means that we can never do it out of our own strength, no matter how good we are. No matter how many good deeds we've done, we cannot be partners with God without Jesus. Because resetting humanity takes more than doing good works. It really involves a radical transformation of the heart. And that is only accomplished in Jesus and through Jesus. It means the more Christ-like we are in character and in power, because sometimes we try to, you know, we try to, oh, I just hang on to character. I just don't want Jesus' uh, Jesus' power. But actually the Bible tells us that Jesus said, anyone who believes in me will be, do the things I have been doing, even greater things. And that power is available to us, so we shouldn't shun that away. So the more Christ-like we are in character and in power, the more effective we are in bringing redemption and resetting humanity. I, I, I don't have time, but I've heard um, missionaries in India just last week um, just seeing wonderful, wonderful miracles. I mean, stuff like you almost, you're like reading the Bible. Miracles. I mean, limbs growing and, uh, and uh, uh, Hindus who haven't heard anything at all about Jesus suddenly seeing him in the meeting, seeing him like on the cross, and then they haven't even spoken about Jesus. But the cool thing is all of them actually received Jesus. So the miracle served its purpose to bring them to Jesus. So we need both his character and his power. So the more Christ-like we are in power and in character, the more effective we are in, in bringing healing and redemption. Number four, the church has been called and empowered to do the works of the Father. And this is the last foundation I'd like to lay down. So we're not only called Matthew, of course, Matthew 28. This was spoken to originally to the disciples, but applicable to us. He said, go into disciple all nations. We're called to disciple all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then Acts, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So do not underestimate the presence you're carrying. Because according to the Bible, you are powerful. We are powerful in Him. And every act of kindness, every, every miracle done in Jesus' name is God's way of resetting humanity. Do you know what I mean? So we have been called and we have been empowered. So let me share three practical steps that God has highlighted in me um, in order for us to be partners with him in resetting humanity. Now, of course, we live in this broken world. We are broken. It's inevitable that we will be hurt, whether directly or indirectly. We will experience pain in this world. Jesus himself said that. Directly, whether someone said or did something to you that hurt you. Indirectly, whether your presidential candidate did not win or Brexit, whatever it, whatever it is, and you get hurt, or whatever, sorry for being political, but just maybe just the American culture is brushing off on me. But whatever it is that indirectly hurt you 
and then you respond to it. Now, our response to brokenness is really crucial. And the first practical point I'd like to see is that do not respond to brokenness with brokenness. Peter puts it this way. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. So do not respond to brokenness with, with brokenness. There was a story in the Old Testament. Remember when Saul was trying to kill David? And when Saul was uh, pursuing David and uh, he found out that David was in this place, he brought 3,000 young men with him and he was chasing him. And then he saw a cave in that place. And then uh, Saul went into the cave to relieve himself, not knowing that David and his men were inside the cave. And it's crazy because the man... We're thinking, this is God's doing. This is it, David. This is the prophecy that the Lord himself will give Saul into your hands. And David snuck, out and snuck into him and then cut the corner of his robe. Remember that? And then what's the thing is, that towards the end of that story, the Lord, uh, uh, David, was so conscience-stricken for just cutting the corner of, the, of Saul's robe. So you see the contrast of David and his man, and it says David rebuked his man. How can I touch, how can I touch the Lord's anointed? And it, and it spoke to me because many times we may not completely annihilate the person for hurting us, but we just cut the robe. Do you know what I mean? Just a little bit dishonor the person. What are the ways that we cut someone else's robe? Maybe, maybe sarcasm. Just a little bit of pain there. Do you know what I mean? Just we're responding to our own brokenness. And I, I'm definitely guilty. <laughs> Me and my, my relationship with Elisa. You know, or, or gossip, or whatever it is, uh, or bitterness, or anger, harboring, you know, or jealousy. All these things, that we, we just cut that rope. So David did not respond with brokenness. Remember the story of Joseph? He was betrayed by his brothers. And he, he could have all the reasons, have all the reasons to be bitter towards God and to his brothers. You know, being, uh, being left in, the, in that pit, being sold, and then again forgotten in the prison. But then he never responded with brokenness. You know? And that is very crucial because obviously we're in the cycle of brokenness. And the moment you act in the opposite spirit, that cycle has been stopped. And then you set the cycle of healing. Do you know what I mean? There was a story of, um, in 2006, there was a man whose daughter died when she was born. And she, he got so angry with God because of what happened to his daughter that he resolved that he would get revenge on God. And the way he, he thought he would do that is that he would kill innocent lives. He would take innocent lives. And so one morning, he went to the school, an Amish school, and then bringing guns, and lined up little girls and killed five of them because he was so broken. He got so hurt. So a cycle of brokenness, a brokenness has been set. But you know how the Amish responded? The very morning 
They sent a representative to the mother of the shooter. The shooter killed himself after the incident and told the mother, we don't harbor any bitterness towards you. We forgive you. We forgive your son, and we would like to bury your son along with our dead. And that very day when, when, um, when the shooter was buried, all the media came, you know, just trying to expose what's going on. But you know what the Amish community did? They surrounded, you know, the family of, of, the, of the shooter so that to protect them from shame. And then out of that community, a couple, parents of not just one, but two daughters who died in the hands of the shooter came to the mother and said, we forgive you. That's awesome story. And that's what Paul says, you know, um, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When we don't respond in broken, to brokenness, with brokenness, a, a cycle of healing is being set. And it's, pretty, it's more powerful than brokenness. It's absolutely more powerful than brokenness. Jesus puts it this way. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. You see this? You see that our response to brokenness really matters. You know, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. But what about, so you say, Dominic, but I can't help it. When, and when, whenever my wife pushes that button, I always respond with brokenness. I can understand that. And that's when we ask, maybe we need healing. Maybe we need healing. Maybe we need God to bring healing in our hearts so that we will not respond with brokenness. We all need healing. Do you know what I mean? And so do not respond to brokenness with brokenness. Number two, ready? Determine to win your private battles. Now, oftentimes, I mean, it's great that we have this vision. The first time I came to London about eight years ago, come on, Lord, let's change England. <laughs> let's change, you know, that was so passionate. It's great. You know, I was so passionate for God. And then the following day, I was sent into this um, uh, room, which is my, my dorm at the hospital, and I started complaining. <laughs> where's this? Where's that? And then God spoke to me, you know, you want to win England, and you can't even learn to control yourself. Determined to win private battle. We're so, it's so easy to talk about bigger things, right? Things out there. Oh, you know, in, in America, I've never been to a place where race is such an issue. It's crazy. In fact, a few weeks ago, my, one of my colleagues asked me, so, do you have white friends? What, why is that? <laughs> I, was, I was actually dumbfounded, like, uh, yeah? Well, didn't think that, you know, color is an issue. But in, for them, it's definitely an issue. And I'm beginning to res respect that brokenness, you know what I mean? I'm beginning to appreciate that, that that needs healing. Do you know what I mean? And, and it's, it's, um, it's so easy to talk about race and whatever it is, but what about your own relationship with your wife? What about your own struggles, private struggles? You know, before David defeated Goliath in public, he defeated the lions and the bears in private. 
before Joseph was entrusted to rule over Egypt to prove himself faithful when he ran away from Potiphar's wife. He proved himself faithful when he ran away from Potiphar's wife. Before Daniel became the king's administrator, he resolved not to defile himself. These guys have won private battles. And because they were faithful in the small things, God has entrusted them in the big things. Do you know what I mean? Mike Pilavachi said, your private victory will determine your public victory. So God often convinced me that, like, I want to be out there. I mean, it's great. Don't get me wrong. You know, we should have, you know. And I'm not saying that we should all have all figured out in our private life before we can be part. No, but if I, let me, let me step back a bit. I, I think in my own conviction, if you look at the men and women of God who has done really significant impact in the world, they are very, Disciplined men and women. They have won their private battles. And for sure, they have struggles. You know what I mean? But they choose life always. Always. So determine to win your private battles. You know, you're, you're out. you remember there's um, uh, in, the, in Timothy when, when um, Paul was telling Timothy to choose leaders, to choose elders. And I was reading, again, God was leading me through that passage, and I was looking at the, the, the qualifications of an elder, and a lot of them were actually really forged, the character traits were forged in private times. In fact, one of those things is that, you know, an elder should be able to manage his own household. And then verse 5, it says, For how can he manage the concerns of the affairs of the church if he can't, he can't even manage his own household? Do you know what I mean? So win this private battle. And then you'd be more effective when you go out there, right? And lastly, this is a bit controversial until I explain. Do not work for God, but work with God. You know what? God doesn't need us. He could do all these things, but he chose to partner with us. But some of us have that mentality of, you know, slavish mentality, Remember the story of the prodigal son? Remember that story? And then uh, basically the, the younger brother took his father's inheritance while he was still alive, the father still alive, and squandered that inheritance in some distant country and then came back to his senses and came back to his father. And then remember the reaction of the older brother? Now I'd like to go through that again. It says, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you. All these years, Dad, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. And I would like you to look at the three, the response of the father, which basically destroys the lies that this brother is believing. Look at the three responses. It says, but when his son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes and comes home, you kill the fat and call for him. And then the father responded, my son, saying you're not a slave, you're my son. First lie. Second, you are always with me. You're not alone. Why are you doing this yourself? You are always with me. We're in these things together. And said, everything I have is yours. Just ask. Just ask. Do you know what I mean? 
Because some, some of us, you know, we approach mission based on this view. We are slaves and God is this dictator and, you, you know, we better do our stuff. Otherwise, God will strike us with lightning bolt. Rather than capturing God's heart for the loss, we do it out of duty. Do you know what I mean? But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Jesus puts it this way. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. There's a massive difference between servants and friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. It somehow echoes what the Father said, right? Everything I have is yours. You know what I mean? And this is my command, love each other. So what are the three... The, Basically, differences between a partner and a slave. A partner is someone who captures the heart of God. A slave is someone who simply does what he or she is being told to do. Jesus said, you're no longer my servants, you're my friends, because everything I've learned from the Father, I've given it to you. You already know the master's business. You know what I mean? So if you, if you get away from that servant mentality, from that slave mentality, and we can be partners with God because God will entrust us with his heart. Will make sense? A partner works in love. A slave works in fear. It's duty, obligation. A partner understands the resources he has in Christ. A slave works out of his own strength. I've been slaving for you all these years, but you haven't even given me a young goat to celebrate with my friends. Well, you could have just asked. And Jesus said, everything, whatever you ask in my name, my Father will give it to you. So God desires partners. We are partners. So in order for us to really effective, become effective partners, we should not respond to brokenness with brokenness. We determine to win our private battles and partner with God, work with God. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this amazing, amazing call that you have for us to bring healing and redemption and restoration and salvation into humanity, Father. Father, we, Lord, we come to you and we just ask you for forgiveness for the things that we've done before, the response that we've we have for brokenness, God. We have responded to brokenness with brokenness. Father, we ask you for forgiveness. And Lord, even that, God, we thank you that even when we respond out of brokenness, you're still big enough to use that brokenness and turn it into something good. Thank you, God. Father, help us to win our private battles. Help us, God, to access the grace that we have in you so that we defeat the bears and the lions in the private so that when we are confronted with Goliaths in the public, then we can beat that, Lord. And Father, help us, God, to get away from that slave mentality. You desire relationship with us. You desire friendship. Father, a lost person maybe can tell the difference between 
a servant, a slave, which is thus was being told to do, and someone who was really into the throne room, was gotten, captured the heart of God. Help us, God, to really grab a hold of that truth. And thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us and your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.